Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Smith. He's a, he's a real doctor. I, I've got uh, honorary degrees. Got a DD, which means didn't do it. And, uh, but your pastor had to get an academic degree because he's more academic than I am. And uh, I'm glad that he's here, and I think you are. And uh, I believe it's a good match, and uh, I, I know he loves it. It's good to be, I said it's good to be back because uh, I'm not sure Brother Bill and I have debated whether I did a revival or not, but one Saturday, uh, you wanted me to come and do a men's uh, breakfast. And I, I had driven all the way from Alabama. I had two hours sleep, got up early, drove to Athens, and uh, did a men's uh, breakfast. And uh, during that time, somebody, if you're here, I'd like to see your hand, took Josh repelling. I don't know, I don't think he'd ever repelled before. I, I certainly hadn't. And then we went to the Athens game that the University of Georgia uh, that day. And I, I don't remember who won, probably wasn't Georgia, but uh, <laughs> we... Um, uh, we, we, had a, we had a good day that day, and uh, Brother Bill, are you here today? Brother Bill here? Okay, I really never cared much for Brother Bill anyway. But anyway, you can tell him that he missed some great compliments. I was going to, <laughs> I was going to, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another time, uh, if there is a, another time. But uh, my, my uh, oldest son also is here, works at Truett McConnell. He's also in the academic community. We love Scott. He's our oldest son. And then my beautiful wife is here. I don't know why it is that men without much hair get beautiful women, but we do. And uh, Josh certainly has a beautiful wife. We, we love Andrea and certainly love all of those precious grandchildren. So it is a joy to be here. Josh mentioned the years I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Those were, uh, there's no way I can tell you the, how busy those years were. And just uh, literally flew all over the world. They wanted me to make some foreign trips and, and uh so busy sometime, I had no idea what I was going to preach. And I came in one Thursday, and my secretary, Marge Malone, says, Pastor, we're a day short this week. It's a holiday. We need your title for your sermon for Sunday morning. I said, Marge, I don't know what I'm preaching Sunday morning. She said, but it's Thursday. I said, well, sometime on Saturday, I don't know what I'm preaching. She said, well, what are we going to do on Sunday morning? I said, look, just Sunday morning, the pastor speaks. That's all you have to put out there, the pastor speaks. She said, okay. She said, how about Sunday night? I said, well, you're a little bit more in luck there because I'm preaching out of Psalm 14, that famous passage. I said, Marge, you've heard it all of your life. Um, and the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, she said, uh, is that Psalm 14? I said, yes. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. She said, what's your title? I said, you make up one. <laughs> so uh, I made my trip to Nashville. I came back and sat down. My chair was right over there, and I sat down in the preacher's chair, and I 
picked up the bulletin and it said, Sunday morning, the pastor speaks. Sunday night, what the fool said. Don't ever let your secretary do your sermon title, okay? <laughs> well, I'd love to spend more time fellowshipping with you, and I've got a job to do, plus I have a Delta plane to catch, and I have an agreement with Delta. If I'm not there, they leave anyway. <laughs> Take your Bibles, please, and go to Acts 20, 20. I do have a prayer for this church. I was glad that your pastor made a statement as I was listening to his prayer. Uh, he said, uh, not only my greatest emphasis, but then he said about you, our greatest need. I know he believes that or he wouldn't have said it. And I hope you believe it because it is your greatest need. In fact, it's the greatest need of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, we have been taking the approach of building more churches. We don't need more churches. It doesn't matter how many blades you put on a razor if they're all dull. And we have discovered that every place we have built more churches, we've had fewer baptisms. Interesting, isn't it? And so your greatest need is what I'm going to address today. Acts 20, 20, Paul said, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly, that is, he was their preacher, and here's the key, and from house to house. I'm very aware of what you're doing from house to house right now, and I think that's great knocking on 5,000 doors, but that's, that's not quite what you need to be totally doing. And um, I want to ask you a question this morning, a question that you've never been asked. You say, well, how do you know? Because I made it up. <laughs> and here's the question. I've never heard anybody else say it because I remember the day in my study when the Lord gave me this. Here's the question I want to ask you. What if you were lost? And the church members witness like you do. What chance would you ever have of being saved? What if you were lost and people want others to Christ like you do? What chance would you ever have of being saved? How many, are, how many of you are glad that you're a Christian? Let me see your hand. Okay. William Booth said, many of you said that our, as you know, he's the founder of the Salvation Army, that our plan of evangelism is the very best. He said, that's not true. They said, well, General, what could, be, what could be better than what you do? He said, if all of our soldiers could spend five seconds in hell, that would be the best, best evangelistic program you could possibly have. God would never let you see that because it would drive you absolutely insane. And here we are addressing our greatest need. Paul said, and I've taught you from house to house. A little boy was always embarrassing. His dad was saying, ain't. He says, son, we have a very educated church. I wish you wouldn't say ain't so much. He said, do you understand how important that is to me? He said, I ain't sure. <laughs> he said, well, let me teach you the auxiliary verbs. He said, first, the singular is, I am not going. He or she is not going. Um, 
let's see, I'm not going, he or she is not going, what's the other? Now the plural is, we're not going, they're not going, you are not going. He, now, he said, son, now do you understand that? He said, I do, dad, there ain't nobody going. <laughs> well, he's telling the truth. That's the problem with the Southern Baptist Convention. By the way, you are part of a dying denomination. You are part of a dying denomination, and we're dying quickly. And uh, it's going to accelerate in its death because of some recent things that have happened. But your church, wouldn't it be great if this church could turn things around by becoming an evangelistic powerhouse for the Lord Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if something like that could happen? And it could happen. A little boy brings home a report card. He has an F in history, a F in English, an F in spelling but he has an A in deportment and citizenship, and the father looks at the card and he says, great son, looks like you're a neat, well-mannered, stupid kid. <laughs> you, you, you know what I've discovered about the church? I preached in every state of America, and the thing I've discovered about the church is we're making A's in everything that is unimportant. But in the one thing God told us to do, is to share the gospel. We're making it F. We're making it F. We're a failure at the one thing he told us to do, and that is to be going. Charles Finney said a very condemning thing. He said, you're one of two things. You are either a soul winner or a backslider. You're either a soul winner or a backslider. I was reading C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis made a statement that I thought he was trying to let us off the hook for a while, so I didn't agree with him. C.S. Lewis said that a man is no more responsible for having compassion than he is for having blonde hair. And I said, now, wait a minute. He was talking about some people just don't go out and witness because they're, they're not responsible. They're, you know, they, it was in their DNA. Well, it is true that some people in their DNA are crusty, some people in their DNA are kind. Some people in their DNA are very pliable. Some people in their DNA are very stubborn. But then C.S. Lewis really gets to the point. He says this. Hang on to this. He says, whether you care or not that souls go to heaven or hell, you still have to be a soul winner because your commander-in-chief told you to be. So we go under the authority, we go under the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get back to my question, and I'm, I'm going to add three parts to the end of that question. What if you were lost, and people witness like you do? What chance would you ever have of being saved? Here's addition number one. What if you were lost, and people up at the church thought you did the work of the church at the church? You don't do church work at church. You are here to, to get excited and to get equipped to do the work of the church out in the world. This is not the end game. This is the beginning. This is the first day of the week where you've come to get trained to go out <coughs> to be a soul winner and to be a witness. Let me, let me give you something that I think 
you will hang on to the rest of your life. You understand that we're not a religion. Religion says this, man's insatiable desire to know God. That's why Indians built totem poles. That's why you find hieroglyphics on the side of caves. Men seeking God, that's called religion. But on the other hand, we didn't have men seeking God. We had God seeking men. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God came from heaven to earth. And when God came from heaven, what was his name? Say it again. Jesus. Jesus. I thought I was in the Episcopal church for a while. <laughs> his name was Jesus. Now here's the difference. Religion, man seeking God. Christianity is, is that God seeking man. Now it is, as it is our nature, as it is in our spiritual DNA, that our very faith is based on the fact that God sought us. That was the ultimate example of our seeking others. He was our example. Look, if I can leave heaven, you can leave your living room. If I can leave heaven, you can leave that fireplace some night and go out and share somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a man uh, used to be pastor. In fact, his brother was pastor here and um, asked me to come and do an evangelistic banquet. Well, I flew into Birmingham, and they had about 500 people. They had a, they had a gospel quartet, and uh, I, was, I was the speaker, and it was a cold, rainy, foggy night. I mean, it's hard to imagine that 500 people showed up, but uh, Baptists will show up for food. And uh, so we were there, and uh, I'd asked the pastor, I said, how hard can I hit them? He said, look, I've been coming out to your Starlight Crusade, and, and he said, I see your results, and we don't have those kind of results. He said, don't tell them what I tell them. I want you to tell them what you, you would tell them. So I got up and I said, well, thank you. We've got 500 people tonight. I said, it's a cold, rainy, foggy night. How, how many of you believe that instead of having a banquet, food, and a dessert, and a famous quartet, how many of you believe uh, instead of having that, uh, we would have just announced Sunday 500, we would have a night where <clears throat> people show up and uh, we're going to pass out cards, maybe cold and rainy and foggy, and we're going out soul winning. I said, how many of you believe the crowd would have been cut 90%? Everybody raised their hand except one old man that had been seated by me and I just looked at him and I said, sir, you don't believe the crowd would have been cut by 90%? He said, no, 99%. And he was right. Baptists will come to a banquet and learn something they never plan to do anything about. But we'll come to the banquet. We just won't do anything about it. Because we love to meet. The Baptist slogan ought to be, meet it, eat it, and beat it. You know what most churches ought to put on their marquee? And I'm as serious as I can be when I tell you this. Most churches should put on their marquee fun, food, and fellowship. Because that's about all the church has anymore. Fun, food, fellowship. I, I, I've, had, uh, I've had pastors say, well, Brother Bailey, we're, now, 
we're not evangelistic, but boy, we have a great fellowship. You know why, you know why they have a great fellowship? They, they have a great fellowship built around mutual mediocrity. In other words, we no longer have anybody here that makes the rest of us feel guilty about being nothing. Don't tell me your church has a good fellowship. That's not a compliment. It could be at the very fact that you, are, you got rid of all of the irritant people who expected you to do God's work. And so you have fellowshiped around the idea that everybody's happy, everybody's in love, let's have another banquet. You know what I think the church reminds me of? Think of the church as an ocean liner, a cruise ship, the church, the cruise ship. And here it is going through the ocean of life. And all around the church, the cruise ship, oh, there, there's an old couple going down for the second time. Oh, there's a teenager going down for the first time. Oh, there's a young married couple. They're going down for the second time. And everybody in the water, as the church, the cruise ship, goes through the ocean of life, they're screaming, up, screaming at the church, help save us, we're drowning Help save us, we're drowning. And the church looks down and says, oh, be quiet, you're disturbing us. We're taking a study course on how to be concerned for drowning people. <laughs> That's exactly a perfect, unblemished picture of the modern church. That's where we are. Because we think you do the work of the church at the church. My home is Dallas, Texas, and I would never miss the Texas State Fair, and, and um, uh, I, I'd, go to, I'd love to go to the science building because they had all the new gadgets. And uh, I saw a big line, and I, I thought, I, I, I've got to get in that line because it, it must be something. People, people, people kind of coming away with a smirk on their face. And so I got up there, and I noticed this machine. I wish I could, I wish I had a picture of the machine. It had arms like a locomotive. By the way, it was solid chrome. I'm talking about chrome plated, I'm sure. And uh, it had arms like this. It had chrome pistons going up and down. It had a little ping pong ball bouncing up and down with a chrome uh, uh, jet spray uh, uh, hitting it. It had a chrome chain uh, going like this, like a bicycle chain. And uh, the little sign under it said this. It doesn't do anything, but doesn't it work well? <laughs> the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was in Detroit, Texas. I just had a 91-year-old cousin buried there. And uh, I mean last week. And uh, I uh, did a revival there. Well... Detroit, Texas is near Paris, and uh, Detroit was declining, so they, um, they consolidated the Detroit school into the Paris school. Well, the problem was they, the, the little girls on the pep rally team uh, had their little short skirts, their pom-poms, their megaphones, and uh, they couldn't have pep rallies. So they go to the principal and they said, sir, uh, we, I know we have the pep rally here in Paris on Friday. Uh, could we, uh, just for school spirit, 
We've already got our uniforms. Could we possibly have a pep rally on Thursday? Principal said, I, I don't think that would hurt anything. Sure, help yourself. So, man, on Thursday, those little girls would get up and they'd shake the pom-poms and they'd yell through the mouth, win team win, go team go, and they'd jump around and they'd get excited and they'd clap and all the former uh, people who lived in Detroit were out in front of them and they were having a good time. The problem is they never played a game. They never played a game. You know, I wonder if Prince Avenue just has pep rallies. They're called Sunday morning. But you don't play the game. What is the game? Leading people to Christ. I've been in your church, church several times, and I've never seen a whole lot of people walk the aisle. I haven't seen enough walk the aisle. I've seen too few walk the aisle. And I thought, there's a problem. A, um, years ago, Southern Baptist had a program called Direct Missions uh, done for the ladies. And one of my friends, he, in fact, he was my best friend for years, called me one day and he says, Bailey, my ladies have got involved in what's called Direct Missions and said, guess what they, they're doing? I said, well, Billy, I noticed you have an apartment complex near your church. I, I bet they're going out there and having maybe uh, witnessing parties at these uh, apartment complexes? He said, no. I said, uh, well, maybe they're buying a bus and going out and picking up people and uh, bringing, he said, uh, no, that, 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 that's not it. I said, well, maybe they're just, maybe your ladies are just meeting and going out soul winning from door to door. He said, no, that's not it. He said, um, they voted to crochet covers for the Kleenex box at the old folks' home. I told that in Missouri. And a preacher's wife came up to me and she said, you should not have told that story about crocheting covers for Kleenex boxes. I said, oh, no. I said, are your ladies doing that? She says, no. We just voted to crochet covers for bedpans at the hospital. <laughs> now, let me, let me tell you how some of you are thinking. Here's how some of you are thinking right now. Well, Bailey Smith, uh, I think those are nice things to do. The church is not in the business of doing nice things. It's, the, it's doing the business of Jesus Christ. The Rotary Club can crochet. It's good to do nice things. But it must end in a conversion experience. It must end and saving somebody from hell and giving them a promised home in heaven. What a sad thing it is that we do our very best to do everything except what Jesus told us to do. What if you were lost and the people up at the church thought you did the work of the church at the church? Every now and then I'll hear pastor bragging. He said, I'll tell you one thing, Brother Bailey, we're a New Testament church. I said, really? How many did you baptize last year? Oh, about 30. I said, you're not a New Testament church. To be a New Testament church, you'd have to baptize 365 because the Bible says they added daily as such as should be saved. So you want to be a New Testament church? 
set you a goal of baptizing 365 a year, and then maybe you'll qualify. Secondly, what if you were lost and people never witnessed because they said they didn't know how? Because they said they didn't know how. Well, if you don't know how, whose fault is it? It's not Brother Bill's fault. It's not Brother Josh's fault. It's not your neighbor's fault. It's your fault. Every Christian ought to have some way of sharing his faith with somebody. I've had people say, well, Brother Bailey, that's just not my gift. When my dad used to tell me to cut the grass, had I said, Dad, that's not my gift, <laughs> he would have gotten off his size 40 belt and I would have gotten the gift. <laughs> now, is it true that some people have the gift of gab? Sure, is it true that some people are more verbal than others? Yes, but whether you have the gift or not, Remember C.S. Lewis, you still have to do it because Jesus said to do it. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. If you're following, you're fishing. If you're following, you're fishing. Isn't that something? One day, uh, my, my, my wife and I lived in a home in Warren, Arkansas. I'm, I'm telling you that that home was 104 years old. The reason it was still standing is the termites were holding hands. <laughs> and uh, the church, <laughs> the, the church used a maintenance man by the name of Havis Smith. Well, we had a floor furnace and he'd burn his hand every now and then. <laughs> Words would come out of his mouth that shouldn't come out of anybody's mouth. And he'd do something else and I'd hear some other profanity, and I gathered by that he was either lost or backslidden Baptist, and uh, I was pretty sure he didn't know Jesus. So I really had them on my heart, and one day I called their home, and um, his wife answered the phone, and I said, this is Bailey Smith, pastor of First Baptist Warren. Uh, may, may I come by and speak to your family tonight? She said, sure, pastor, come on by. Well... I, will, I could tell you a lot of things that happened, but Havis got saved, his wife got saved, their daughter got saved, their son Roland got saved, and now Roland today is pastor of a great, growing, dynamic Southern Baptist church. You just never know who's on the other side of a door, and you won't know unless you go. And that's why Jesus commanded us to go. And I was so glad I could share the gospel with Havis Smith, and I'd love to tell you a dozen other stories. One, one man came to the pastor one time, and he said, uh, a, a pastor, he said, uh, and by the way, this guy was a qualified redneck. Pickup truck, gun rack, American flag flowing on his truck. And uh, he said, pastor, what's a Jehovah Witness? He said, they've been bothering you? He said, yes, they have. He said, uh, well, I, I don't have time to tell you all of their theology, but he said, they're pacifists. He said, pastor, don't use big words on me. What's a pacifist? He said, where? Well, they're conscientious objectors. They refuse to be drafted. They will not fight for the United States. They'll not salute the flag. And said, boy, his neck really got red. They won't salute the flag. They, he said, no, they won't do the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the National Anthem because 
They believe it's disloyalty. You're giving loyalty to a nation instead of God. He says, thank you, Pastor. I'll fix them. <laughs> so he left, and sure enough, two days later, he looks outside. A little lady is coming across the yard with a satchel. He said, honey, you and the kids get ready. So, man, the little lady rings the doorbell. She cannot say one word. He grabs her by the arm, jerks her in the house, and he had put up a 14-foot American flag over the fireplace. He says, now, ma'am, we have a little custom here. You stand here. Honey, you and the kids get right here. Said, so before we talk to anybody, we do the Pledge of Allegiance. Put your hand over your heart. Yes, sir. Said, uh, so then we always do the National Anthem. And uh, just for fun, we're going to sing God Bless America. So they did all of that. Finally, when all of that was over, he grabbed her by the shoulders, put her down. And he says, now what do you have to say for yourself? She says, only one thing. I've been selling Avon 13 years. <laughs> and nothing's ever happened to me like this. What I'm saying to you, I don't care if you have to grab the Avon lady, you grab somebody. <laughs> Number three, what if you were lost and the people of the church listened to the devil more than to Jesus? The devil normally says three things about witnessing. Number one, don't disturb them. I used to go out and visit up with a man, his first name was Pat. Here's the way he'd knock on a door. I'm not exaggerating. He'd go like this. I said, Pat, are your knuckles okay? I said, knock again. And, and finally, I'd go up the door and I'd go, he said, there's nobody home. I said, yeah, I see a light back there. I believe they're watching television. He said, no, that's the reflection of that street light. Well, I'd see the people coming, but he'd grab me. We'd get in the car, go by the Dairy Queen, get a chocolate shake, mark on the card, Nobody home. I required every staff member of mine to do 10 fresh visits a week. And I said, never put on my desk a card that says not home. You go, you go there until they are home. You go there until they are home. But the devil will tell you, oh, don't disturb those people. It's okay to disturb them. It's okay to disturb them. Jimmy Draper, that was head of Lifeway, uh, my goodness, they own Ridgecrest, Glorietta, when those were viable institutions. But Jimmy was telling me that he was coming home one night, and he said it was, it was late, late, late. And he said, he, I, he said, I saw this beautiful brick home, and fire was coming out of a, what I assumed to be a, a kitchen window. And he said, I didn't see any other lights on. He said, so I went up and rang the doorbell, and, and uh, rang the doorbell, and a man came to the door, and he says, what are you doing this time? He said, sir, I believe your house is on fire. The man, by that time, had smelled smoke. He could see the flames. He said, oh, it is, and they'd call the fire department. The fire department came. He took his wife and his four children out, and all of them were safe. You know why they got safe? Because there was a fire. They got disturbed. They got uncomfortable. And we have to sometimes, preaching has to make people uncomfortable because then like they feel like they're a candidate for something. 
And so Jimmy Draper helped save six lives that night because he disturbed some people and let them know the house was on fire. This church has got to tell Athens, hey, Athens, your house is on fire. Your soul is on fire. Your destiny is on fire. Your future, your future is nothing but fire. And then maybe when you disturb them enough, you'll get their attention. Also, the devil says, uh, well, they go to another church. You don't have to bother them. Forget, forget that for what the devil says. Then the devil says this. You're tired. <laughs> this is my favorite. You don't need to go. Brother, Brother Josh wants us up there soul winning. He, he wants us to go to that visitation thing. Now, I, I've been in so many homes. I don't know how much visitation I've done, but I've done a lot. And I, I've been to these homes. You've seen them. They may not have anything, but they've got a big TV. And they've got a lazy boy church, a lazy boy chair, rather, Lazy Boy Church, that'd be a good name for some. Uh, uh, they've got a Lazy Boy chair here for Big Mama. Lazy Boy church, uh, chair here for Big Papa. And they got a little table in the middle for the Fritos of the Dr. Pepper. And here Big Papa sits. He says, Mama, we going to go to that visitation thing? No, Brother Josh expects too much of us. I've been having a few sniffles anyway. How about you, Big Papa? No. Brother Josh, that new pastor, he, he's working us too hard. He said, give me some more Dr. Pepper, please. And boy, they sit there because they're, they're not tired. They're tarred. They're tarred. And there are those of you that can go to work with vigor on Monday, but for some reason, you didn't have time to go out and tell somebody about Jesus. Now, there's two things you need to learn from Scripture. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell the unsaved to come to church. Secondly, there's no place in the Bible where it says to pray for people to be saved. So we try to substitute a lot of things for the real thing. Years ago in Kentucky, there came a horrible tornado. Only one home in the area had a radio. And uh, the father says to the son, he says, son, look at, look at the clouds, black, churning, green. And he said, it's going to, that, that is going to hit the Renfro house. And son, you, you, you've got to go tell him to get in the storm cellar. He said, son, hurry. He said, yes, daddy. The little boy bounded off of the front porch. He made his way across the, uh, the grass and the pasture. And all of the sudden, the father standing on the front porch looked up and he saw the tornado as it struck the Renfro house. He saw bodies strewn in the air, possessions thrown everywhere. And he was horrified that all of his neighbors had been killed. And he thought, my son had plenty of time to get there. What on earth could have gone wrong? And all of a sudden, the little boy returned home. And the father said, son, what happened? He said, oh, daddy, I I'm so sorry. He said, but I was making my way to tell the Renfros to get in the storm cellar. And daddy, he said, I saw a little bird. And he said, I, I picked up a rock and I threw it at the bird and I missed it. And, 
it came back and I picked up another rock and threw it at the little bird and this time I hit the bird and it fell down and daddy while I was holding that little bird I saw the tornado hit their house and daddy I'm so sorry I, daddy I'm so sorry he said son what is that on your hand the little boy says oh daddy I I guess that's the blood of that little bird. He said, no, son. It's the blood of the family that you never warned to get in the storm cellar. You know what I'm looking at today? Bloody hands. Bloody hands. Let me answer the question. Southern Baptist a few years ago did a survey and discovered that only 7% of the people that are saved walk into church, hear the music, hear the preaching, and accept Christ. Only 7%. That means that if most of you were lost, 93% of you would stay lost if you witnessed like the other people around you witness. 93% of you would stay lost if you witnessed like you do. What a tragic thing. Would you bow your heads, please? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to give a very specific invitation This needs to be a turning point in the life of this church. I don't want to do some generic rededicate your life. Though some of those are good, some of them are meaningless. But here is the invitation. Here is the invitation. If between now and the end of the year, I ought to make it much more difficult than that. I, I should say in the next 20 or 30 days. If you will witness to somebody who is unsaved, now you say, Brother Bailey, what does witness mean? Let me tell you three things. Hang on to this. A genuine witness is, number one, give your full testimony to somebody of how you got saved. Number two, express gen genuine concern. That is, you say, Frank, well, I've really been praying you'll trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the second definition of witnessing. Thirdly, the full plan of salvation, the four spiritual laws, you know, uh, the EE approach, many, any of those three will qualify as a genuine witness. If you will do one of those three things between now and the end of the year, I want you to come when we start singing after my prayer. You don't even have to stand. Just come and kneel around this front. Now, some of you cannot kneel physically. I understand. But do you know the problem is we speak of sin so generally, there's no conviction in particular. And so I, I, I'm not going to ask you to come and just say, I want to be a better witness. No, 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 no. Between now and the end of the year, 
You say, well, I'll do it if God directs. No, you don't have to pray about what God's already said to do. You don't pray about beating your wife. You don't pray about tithing. You don't pray about whether you attend church or not. Those issues have already been settled. Jesus made it very clear that he came into the world that we might share the gospel to be fishers of men. So between now and the end of the year, I don't care if the aisle is full all the way back to the back, then I'll tell you what we're going to do. I won't, don't, don't go back to your seat. Come and just kneel here because I want to do something very special. Father, we thank you for how the people listen today. I thank you for the good of this church, but it's not good enough. It's off center. Food, fellowship, trips, and yet, Father, Prince Avenue needs to become an evangelistic church. That's why Jesus died to keep people out of hell, not for potluck suppers. And Father, I pray that right now something will happen that will pierce the heart of these members where there will be a change as never before in the fellowship of this church. In Jesus' name, amen.